just things for me. Hello, podcast legends. This is the Off-Road Performance Coach Podcast, where we share with you how we do things at Race Ready Off-Road Coaching. So if you want to be a beast on and off the dirt bike, you have certainly come to the right place. We're back. Had a little hiatus over the Christmas break. It's been a pretty busy time for me personally. We moved house over the Christmas break and bought a new dirt bike, got a new 250F. Yamaha 2024 model, kids are home from school, on school holidays, so it's just, there's been a lot going on, been busy, so got a ton of questions this week, uh, I guess this month for the January listener Q&A, which is awesome, um, so we'll get stuck into them, fair bit of stuff around training on the bike, training off the bike, and a little bit of nutrition stuff as well. So I've got a few to get through today, so I'm going to try and be as succinct as I possibly can with the answers and try not to drag them out too much so we're not on here for too long. Uh, First question was actually a good little segue out of buying the new 250F was why did I choose the YZ over the FX250? Very simple answer. This one, when I ordered that bike, I ordered it like back in when they first came out, like or when they were first, I guess, uh, released, which was like, I'm pretty sure August or September or something like that, there was no FXs available then. So I still don't think the FXs are, have arrived in Australia yet. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure they're due end of February, start of March. So I didn't really want to wait that long. Um, YZ's a little bit cheaper too. Uh, if I had the choice, honestly... In the 250 model, I think the FX is a better bike. It has got the six-speed gearbox. Um, that honestly doesn't worry me at all because I, I just ride single tracks and motocross all the time, so I'm not doing long trail rides where I need that top gear, so that doesn't really worry me, but the FX does have different ratios in the gearbox. Um, I think first is a little bit lower, second and third are closer together. So I feel like that is a benefit off-road. Um and they do just come with hand guards, a skid plate, side stand, all those little things that you'll probably spend money on if you ride off-road. So I think the 250 version is a better bike in the FX for off-road. The 450, I don't think you need to bother really because there's not that much difference. I don't think they cha- even change the gearbox on the 450. It's just got all the other stuff added onto it. So it's cheaper to buy the motocross model. But yeah, that's why I bought the YZ model. So next question was, am I going to run any boot camps in 2024? Short answer is yes, not exactly sure when. I definitely want to bring them back. Uh, Started doing them like back at the start of COVID, which was 2020. And my actual business was a lot smaller in terms of the people I was coaching back then. So my but the co- the online training side of my business has like quadrupled since then. So I guess I don't have as much time available to put into running those um, camps, but I definitely do want to do some again in 2024. So I will be working towards running some camps um, on bike coaching. And I do also do like, small group like two three people or one-on-one coaching as well sort of at any time um i could travel if you're willing to pay the travel costs or i've got like spots that we can ride around where i live so that's an option too for anyone that does want to do any on-bike coaching doesn't don't necessarily have to wait for a camp you could um just do some one-on-one or if you've got like two or three buddies that want to do a small group can certainly do that at any stage as well. If you want to reach out to me, we could tee that up. Next one was an update on GNCC series. Haven't really got much to tell about that in all honesty. There's a lot of stuff still up in the air. Um, I My primary goal this year is my business. So the amount of effort I put into running that race last year was massive. 
and my business probably took a little bit of a hit, I think. So my primary goal this year is focusing on the things that pay the bills. And that is expanding my business and doing a better job of serving my clients. So haven't really got anything set in stone, to be honest, that I could release on the GNCC thing. Hopefully, we might have something in the next week or two to actually release some dates and locations all going to plan. But that's all I can say right now. So let's get into the real questions. So the first few here are actually about on-bike training, uh, how we can, I guess, improve what we're doing on the bike. So this first one is, is there such a thing as too much riding? Like, can I be doing too much bike time and do I have a preference for ride time? So like everything, it's going to depend. It's going to come down to the individual, but general sort of blanket statement for that average person, which is likely most of you listening to this, I don't think that is too much thing, uh, too much ride. There is a thing as too much riding is what I'm trying to say there. Uh, most people don't get to ride that often. You might be able to get out once on a weekend. If you're lucky, you might be able to get out twice. So you're, like, you're going to struggle to do too much riding in two or three days a week. So it's going to depend how many on the frequency, like how many times a week can you ride. Um, that's going to kind of dictate the frequency or the, sorry, the duration that you'll ride when you're on your bike. So if you can ride more frequently, if you can ride like three, four times a week, then you're getting your volume up through frequency over three or four days a week. You probably don't have to spend that much time on the dirt bike to accumulate volume. Whereas if you only get to ride one day a week, and that's the only shot you get to go on your bike, then you're probably going to want to try and do a little bit more if possible. But what I would say is like, even just from my my own personal experience when I go riding and from my clients, uh, like you're going to have, there's a, especially we're talking about doing motos here, not going for a trail ride. Like you can go for a trail ride and ride for four or five hours. That's fine. But it's not, like super high intensity. Even if you're racing with your buddies, like you're still pulling up every 20 minutes talking shit. Like it's not, I guess, as intense as racing for three or four hours. So we're talking about doing motos where you're actually riding at a high intensity for the given duration. So most people, once you get like over 60 minutes total, somewhere between 60 to 90 minutes, you're going to start to lose the quality your intensity is probably going to drop a little bit and you potentially become a little bit fatigued and that is when you're at a high risk of having a crash is when you're fatigued when you're fresh you're feeling good it's just like you're out there on your first moto you feel awesome you probably got a lower a lower chance of something going wrong as opposed to you're on your sixth 20 minute moto for the day you haven't quite hydrated properly, you haven't eaten enough food, you're feeling a little bit flat and then next minute you have a stack. So that 60 to 90 minute window, I find is a good window to be working in per day um, of motos. So again, if you only get to train once per week, you might be on the higher end of that. If If you're able to do multiple days, then you might be on the lower end of that. So... It's, it, it just does come down to how many days you get to ride a week and um, spreading your volume out. So my, like a couple of my pro clients in the USA that race GNCC, like I've seen everything work. Some of my clients ride like up to five days a week and they only do 60 minutes of volume total each of those days so they're still accumulating five hours of bike time a week then i have i've had other clients that only ride twice a week and they'll do like a like just burn the tank dry in a moto do just a full moto of just lap after lap after lap so it all works um you just got to get enough bike time per week 
that you feel like you're progressing, your conditioning is improving and your confidence on the bike is improving. Obviously, the longer you go between days of riding and the less you ride, your on-bike conditioning is going to suffer and your confidence is going to suffer. Like that skill that, like the more frequently we can ride, the more we can keep a touch on that skill. So that's why like most pro riders are better than us average dudes is because they get to ride more frequently and they get to do back-to-back days on the bike. So that skill, that feeling is fresh every time. It's not like, fuck, I rode seven days ago or 10 days ago. It's like, got to get a feel for everything again. Like, what's the grip like today, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, I rode yesterday. So it's just full send straight away, first moto. So again, you just got to tailor that to what's best available for you in your situation each week. More frequent, shorter duration stuff would be my preference than doing longer duration stuff like more days apart. That would be my preference if you could do that. That kind of leads into this second question, which this is off the back of a question off last month's Q&A where this particular gentleman was asking about different duration motos and what he should be doing on and off the bike. You could go and listen to that. I think it was December or November, maybe. You go back and listen to this one. But this question he sent in is, and he actually sent a little bit of an explanation in with this question is that he has changed his duration of his moto. So he started doing more shorter uh, sort of sprint motos, uh, 15 minute motos at a higher intensity instead of just doing like longer 45 minute hour long motos where you, the intensity comes right down and you're just sort of circulating. He's bought in those shorter, more intense sprints and he's definitely noticed a benefit in the intensity that he can ride out and his speed, which is awesome. So he's asked this question to sort of off the back of that, how often, if at all, would I test my endurance on the bike for a three to four hour Ironman race? So this is a really good question. Basically, like your best test of endurance on the bike is a race. So I know it's not always possible for people, but if you can find some club days that are on, there's not many on in Australia at the moment because it's the off season. But once we get into the season, like there is a lot of racing going on these days at a club level. So if you can find some club day events where you can actually go and race for three hours, that's going to be your best test of where your endurance is at. Doing like a moto on your own for two hours, personally, I just don't feel like you're going to be able to push yourself to an intensity that is anywhere near race intensity. When you've got like other riders in front of you that you're trying to catch and you've got dudes behind you that are pushing you, that intensity in a race is going to be a lot higher than anything you're going to be able to likely do on your own for the average person. So number one test of endurance is go do a race, a local race that's not like a goal A race that you're not too stressed upon your um result the the other benefit to that is you get to test your nutrition your race day nutrition strategy and your hydration strategy big benefit you want to be testing them in a race situation because again the intensity everything is going to be different to what you do when you're just riding around by yourself for for 90 minutes or two hours then flip side of that is uh or not necessarily the flip side but the other thing you can actually like how you can test your endurance is doing like you you definitely still want to be doing some longer motos on the bike you just don't want to be doing 15 minute motos all the time you want to do some 30s some 40s maybe and that's when we're looking to hit consistent lap times so we want those laps in a 30 or a 40 minute moto to be as close as possible to our 15 minute sprint lap motos we want the first lap to be as close as possible to the last lap like if you can sprint hard for a, in the first 15 minutes of a 30 and then your last lap of your 30 minute moto you like you drop 20 or 30 seconds depending on how long the lap time is obviously um then obviously there's a big drop off there so we're looking that's the best way you can test your endurance would be your lap times in a 30 or a 40 minute moto and keeping them as tight as possible like most of my clients can hit the same second 
like my my pro level clients this is just like an, an example i'm giving you to as something to aim for i'm not, like i can't do this personally myself but this is just where they're at at the top level they can hit the same like within a second every lap for 30 minutes and they can lay down a heater at the on the final lap and maybe drop two seconds off that lap so that's what they're doing at the highest level so that's something that you can aim for can you how consistent can you get your laps in a 30 or a 40 minute moto and can you lay down a heater on the last lap and drop a couple of seconds if you can't then obviously you need to work on that consistency more and that endurance getting closer to those it's all well and good to be able to sprint but if your sprint laps are like massively faster than what you can maintain for 30 or 40 minutes then that's not ideal either like we want we want to get those our sort of that pace that we can maintain for a longer duration we want that to be as close as possible to our sprint laps there's always going to be a difference there of course but we want that gap to be shortening up ideally if we're making making progress next one was the best training on the bike to progress skills in the bush so it's probably not really any different to motocross really it just comes down to refining your skills on the bike so you find skills as simple as it sounds like it's getting better at your timing modulating your controls clutch throttle brake that's what allows us to go fast around a corner is the timing like if you think about when you're tipping into a turn you're sitting into the seat you're letting the clutch out you're getting off the brake and rolling the throttle on all of those things are happening within a microsecond a millisecond like from when you enter a corner to when you exit it is probably one second or one and a half seconds and what you have to do between that point where you enter and start to accelerate as to where you're sort of in your attack position and and potentially standing back up and getting hard on the gas it's all about how in tune you are with your controls how good are you at modulating those controls so what you can practice i'm just a big fan of practicing drills so slowing things down feet on the pegs so doing a little mo find a little turn track you're going to do motos you're going to bring the pace right down 60 70 percent of your max and you're doing 15 20 minute motos the feet are not coming off the pegs the whole time you can do no rear brake motos you can do no clutch motos so all you can do to modulate your speed is the throttle you haven't got the clutch there to rely on as a as a crutch so it teaches you to be hyper smooth with your throttle application when you haven't got a clutch there to to pull in and fan and sort of modulate that um, acceleration you become hyper aware of every little blip of throttle that you're doing in a corner potentially that's unsettling the chassis so they're just little things you can do feet on the pegs no rear brake no clutch and you want to be doing if you feel like your skills need work you want to be doing some of that every single time you go riding your biggest progress is probably going to come from that more so than tr just trying to go fast all the time or trying to do motos all the time where you're pushing that intensity then like if you're on a trail ride with the boys or you're going riding single track like try and ride sections without putting your feet down i do that all the time when i'm riding single track i'm like i'm not dabbing a foot in this whole section so this section might go for 15 minutes i'm not taking my feet off the pegs I'm going to ride this whole section, keeping my feet on the pegs. So all of those little things that you can do around a turn track, you can practice that while you're riding single track with your buddies if you want. And it's just, it's just volume. It's just getting volume up on all of those little things. And that over time, your skills will improve. It's that simple. Most people just don't practice skills at all. Or when they do, they might do it once a month. There's just the frequency and the volume's not there. So you just you're going to default back to what your subconscious habits are, which is whatever you've spent the last decade of riding doing. So if you want to change that, you're going to have to be put in a lot of time, a lot of volume and a lot of frequency 
with the intention of actually changing that takes fucking ages. <laughs> it takes ages. It literally took me three or four years to change my footwork on the pegs. And I guess a flow on effect of that has been how my attack position has improved and the, the way I can weight the foot pegs now. That's all kind of stemmed off me improving my footwork, which again, took me three to four years to be able to do that. Because I'd do it, I'd, pract I'd go practice it, and then I'd go and do a motor at full race pace and then I'd just go back to doing, just straight back to doing what I was doing. <laughs> so I had, I literally had to spend years of just going slow, doing slow motos, practicing that to improve it. So they would be my biggest ones. Really, it's not that different to motocross. Like it's just practicing those finer skills and anything you want to get better at, you're going to have to slow down. You're going to struggle to improve your skills if you're trying to ride as fast as you possibly can all the time so next one best advice for a little kid who wants to race he's only seven years old so number one would be if they do actually want to race and they're not just going to ride around in the paddock and have fun with dirt bikes i'd honestly just spend a little bit of money like going to find your local coach at probably your local motocross club. Um, hopefully they're doing some on-bike coaching days and go and just get some some basic skills coaching for them. Again, just those basic things, the attack position, um, your footwork, how to use your controls, just all those basic things, that's going to pay dividends in the long run. If you can cement those good habits when they're seven, then like they don't have to worry about like that that last question is like how to improve skills in the bush if you can start on those those foundational habits when you're seven you're not going to have to worry about that when you're an adult so that's kind of where i'd come at that from the skills perspective and then honestly you just for a kid that's seven like you want to be trying to making it trying to make it as fun as possible like i truly believe like Every, every kid has the potential to be the next world champion if they want to do the work. But I've seen it so many times, kids that are like the best junior in the world, like, or oh, I shouldn't say the best junior in the world, but they win everything as a junior, like they win Australian titles, they win state titles, they turn 18 and you never hear of them again. They're that burnt out. They don't actually enjoy riding their dirt bike and having fun with it. So they just quit. They just quit racing when they um, become an adult. So like everyone's got different goals. Maybe you, you're not even worried about your kid racing. That's like racing as an adult, that's fine. But um, yeah, it's just something I see quite often kids that go really hard at it when they are a kid. They don't actually love riding their dirt bike. And when they become an adult, and it actually gets hard and they've got to put in more work to progress, they just quit. So if you can develop the passion for the sport and the love for the sport, you're going to want to do it for the rest of your life. So that's what I would say. Get some skills coaching, make sure it's in fun. So make sure it's fun so they can develop passion for the sport and they'll probably have a pretty good time riding dirt bikes their entire life. So next ones, we're getting into some training questions now. So I, I should say off bike training questions now. So this one's about zone two. Do I get the benefits of zone two training if I'm doing it on the same day as a high intensity workout? Short answer, yes, absolutely. Hell yes. You can, if you're tight for time, you can blend your workouts. You can do zone two and intervals in the same workout. You can do all in the, you can do uh, strength. You can do your strength training. You can do some intervals, and then you can do some some base on the end of that. If if you're like super tight at the time and you're trying to cram everything into a window, there's like people will say that that's not optimal. But at the end of the day, what dictates your results is the work you're getting done. Are you getting the work done? Are you supporting that with adequate recovery, nutrition, sleep, etc.? You do that consistently for months, years, decades. 
you get results. So I've really, if you want to follow someone that's all over this is Alec Blennis. I shared one of his uh, podcast clips to my story the other day. You might've seen it. You want to follow that dude. Like I'm hoping to get him on the podcast soon. He's right into the hybrid training uh, in inverted commas. He, he's actually got the world record for the Murph, um, which is a 1600 meter run. 100 chins, 200 push-ups, 300 squats, then a 1,600-meter run. And he did it with a 20-pound weight vest in 32 minutes. And he did it unbroken too. So all of those reps were back-to-back. He didn't split it, um, which is, if you've ever tried, I've tried that workout a couple of times. It's fucking hard. And he did it in 32 minutes. He's also completed like numerous amounts of uh, like 100-mile ultramarathons. So he's like a legit endurance guy really worth following a lot of the stuff he shares around energy system training and cardio is really good value he's got some great insights there and like you're really splitting hairs if you're worrying about that stuff that again that would be something that would maybe maybe matter if you're a tour de france cyclist and you're doing 30 hours of volume a week cycling that would be something that they might worry about. The average person who's doing less than 10 hours a week for most average people, much less for most average people, like don't even worry about that. Just if you can get some zone two done, awesome. If you can get some intervals done, awesome. It really comes down to splitting your training up across the week that in a way that allows you to get the most work done and feel recovered for your high quality sessions. So obviously your high intensity intervals and your strength training are your high quality sessions. Ideally, in a perfect world, you don't want to come into those to a hard strength session or a high intensity interval session feeling like trash. Um, you can come into a zone two session and feel like garbage, like tight, sore, fatigued, you'll be fine. Come into a heavy strength session feeling like that or a high intensity interval day, you're probably not going to put in your best effort. So you want to structure your training in a way that you can get the volume done of your zone two work and you feel really good on your hard days. So you want to spread your hard days out. And like not many people are going to be able to do back-to-back hard days for any more than two days. At least that's what I see anyway. You're gonna That fatigue's going to start to accrue and you're going to have to do something that's lower intensity or an easier day to recover and then be able to potentially bring in another hard day again. So it's just that's really all you've got to worry about is if you do something or you do two workouts in a day or you back-to-back something like that, you really just... One, ask yourself, how did I actually do in that workout? Like, did I achieve the goal of the workout? And how do I feel the the, the day after? Have I recovered sufficiently enough that it has allowed me to perform my next day's training and achieve the goal of that session? Because if it hasn't, if if you're still cooked or you're completely fatigued or you feel like trash, then probably need to tweak something there and adjust it. So, and that's all you do, like week on week. You keep asking yourself those questions, keep adjusting week on week, and you'll make progress. Someone that hasn't trained in years, where should I start? Shameless plug right here, Race Ready Live program. (laughs) Super affordable, it's scalable, and it includes everything that you need in terms of a lot of mobility work, zone two work, some in some higher intensity intervals, some heavier strength work. It's all included across your training week. So like really like where you want to start if you haven't done anything for years, you can still do all of the things. You still want to be working on your strength. You want to be working on your mobility. You want to be working on your aerobic base and you want to be working on your higher intensity intervals. You're just going to have to scale it right back. Your starting point is going to be quite low in terms of the intensity. You still can do all of the movements. 
your you just might your squat you're not going to go into the gym and throw 100 kilos on a back squat you might just start with a goblet squat we're just going to do goblet squats for the first two or three weeks that's cool that's your starting point so on the race ready live program everything is scalable so you can if you're a complete novice a complete beginner you can scale everything back and just use dumbbells if that's all you have available um but yeah essentially where should you start is you want to be working on your mobility if you if you haven't been doing anything for years you're probably going to be pretty tight so mobility is super important that's a big part of what we do on the race ready live program you want to be getting strong working on your strength and that's just all round full body strength knee dominant squat patterns hip dominant hinge patterns your upper body work your core work all that sort of stuff um and then you've got like your basically your, your two different intensities of your your cardio training so you're gonna want to be doing some lower intensity stuff like i just mentioned your lower intensity stuff allows you to accumulate more volume and it's easier to get done so you want to be definitely doing some of that lower intensity stuff to get your volume up and then you definitely want to be doing some interval work as well just because you're completely new to training like you don't it doesn't mean you can't do high intensity work it just means your level of intensity is probably not going to be that high and your volume that you could do it at is probably not going to be that high that's completely fine you just find a level that you can start at week one and aim to progress that a little bit you might progress your intensity each week or you might progress your volume like your first week if you're coming off the couch you might only get like two or three repeats of an interval done and you're like i'm, I'm out I'm, I'm completely cooked week two all right i did three intervals last week i'm going to try and do an extra one this week i'm going to do four intervals and you're just going to slowly progress over time but the most important thing is consistency so you need to stay consistent and you want to support this new training that you're bringing in one with good nutrition getting plenty of protein to support that recovery and getting plenty of sleep so they're the like the outside of training things that are super important because if you haven't been doing anything for quite some time like not gonna lie you're going to like doesn't matter what you do like the first couple of strength sessions you do even if you're just doing goblet squats, if you haven't done anything, if you're coming off the couch, you're going to be sore. You're going to feel it the next day. So the way to overcome soreness is to train again. Either it's Your body just needs to adapt to the movements and adapt to a little bit of load. So if you, don't tr- if you get sore and then you don't train again for another week, you're probably going to get sore again. So it's figuring out how many days you can train each week and doing it consistently and just being okay with being sore and probably having to use a walking frame to go to the toilet for the first couple of sessions but so long as you are consistent and you eat enough protein and you get enough sleep and the hydration i'd add that in there too those basic things that support our recovery and you stay consistent with the training that should subside in the first seven to ten days so once you've done each workout like for the second time that third time you do each session you should like you shouldn't really feel you might still feel like you've done something but you won't get that feeling that you're like fuck i can't walk today (laughs) so be prepared for that but just know that it goes away very quickly when you're consistent and you eat good food and you get enough sleep so that would be my tips definitely start you definitely want to be doing something like it's the best investment you can make for yourself and just life being able to enjoy life so what i would add to that is like and i think this is what holds so many people back is they think i can't train five days a week or i can't train for 90 minutes a day so i just won't fucking bother i won't do anything literally it doesn't matter if it's two days a week if it's five days a week but you can only do 20 minutes a day it doesn't matter like train just do it It, that accumulated volume over time it pays dividends long term so whatever you can commit to training don't doesn't matter if you think it's not enough just do it and you'll progress it'll get better so 
Next one was around any, uh, about anti-inflammatories. Um, training and writing around the use of anti-inflammatories. So my point of view on anti-inflammatories is they are okay in an acute circumstance. Um, say you're at a race or you're on a, you're on a ride, a trail ride with the boys or whatever, you tweak your knee or you tweak your shoulder, something happens, you have a little tip over. In an acute circumstance, you want it, you, if you're on a trail ride, well, you've actually got to get back to your car. You've got to ride home, ride back in a race. You might like have another moto to do or some more sprints to do, whatever it is. You've got it, you like you're committed to getting the result. So in that circumstance, to get you across the line, to numb the pain a little bit, to it's like it's a means to an end, uh, they can be okay. They're definitely not something I recommend taking long-term, that is for sure. They're not good for your body, for your gut, all those types of things long-term. They're a Band-Aid at best. So if you are having to take them long-term, then I'd really be looking at um, addressing the root cause because there'll be something going on there that you'd be able to fix over time that so you won't have to take them. So yeah, that would be my advice. If you've got a packet of Nurofen in the in your gear bag that's there for emergencies in case something happens at a race, that's probably okay. But I definitely wouldn't be including them as part of the your, your regular program. That's for sure. Um, kind of moving into a couple of little more nutrition based ones. This one was actually about seventy five hard and just asking what my tips would be for someone that was going to take it on. So the biggest thing that I learned out of the 75 hard thing, I didn't actually finish it, by the way, just in case anyone was wondering. I'm going to do it again this year for sure. But the biggest thing, tips, it would be don't cut your calories. That's what I, the mistake I made is I cut my calories a little bit too low, I think, I feel like. So it was great. Like I dropped some body fat real quick. Um, about four kilos in probably the first sort of little bit, probably three weeks. Um, in hindsight, I should have just kept my calories where they were for the first three weeks and just seen what happened, seen what my body weight did. Normally, I normally eat like around about 2,800 calories, give or take, depending on what I do. If I go for a massive mountain bike ride or a big day on my moto, I'll definitely be over 3,000 calories a day. But I'd say I would average, like just on a normal training day, I'd be around that 2,800 calorie mark and I cut them, I dropped them down to 2,400. So it was a pretty big deficit and I was consistently doing two sessions every single day. So there was a bit of extra training load came in to my overall week. Like I do two sessions a day, lots of days, but not every single day for 75 days. So there was, if you look at my weekly average, my um, energy burn, my calorie burn would have gone up a little bit and I cut my calories down. So in hindsight, I probably should have just left my calories at 2,800, at least for the first two or three weeks and just seen what my body weight did, I'm pretty confident it still would have gone down a little bit. Definitely wouldn't have gone down four kilos, but I might have lost maybe a kilo or two, which would have been fine. Even if I flatlined and didn't lose any weight, well, then I could have adjusted them. So I feel like I did really good for like the first month and a half, like the first six or seven weeks. And then I just got a little bit, started to get a little bit burnt out. And it was at the same time that I was running that GNCC race. And that's when I actually fell off the wagon with it was when we went to GNCC to actually run the event. Like I was getting up at 4am, I was going to bed at 11pm and doing like 35,000 steps a day. I was cooked. Like I wasn't going to add in two 45 minute workouts, like structured workouts to those days um, and cut my calories down because I would have like I felt like I was teetering on that edge of fucking burning myself out at that point so that's when I stopped doing it and 
I really just stopped. All I stopped doing was the uh, nutrition. Like I just brought my calories back up and wasn't as strict on my nutrition. And I stopped doing all the little things like the take the photo, um, all those little habits that are um, outside of it, the read the book. Uh, I still like when I got home after that, I still did like my two sessions a day and things like that. But I just wasn't completely strict with it. So I definitely do want to do it again because I, this, and anyone that's done it before will know like it is really, it's just that mental, that's the biggest thing you gain out of it is that mental um, challenge and it teaches you that about yourself I feel like because it's that conversation you have in your head when you're trying to rationalize something why you shouldn't I don't need to do that today it's okay I can put it off till tomorrow like that story in your head that conversation that's going on like if you can become more aware of that and be in control of that like I feel like that's what holds well I know myself like that's it's what holds us back from doing more things, right? And getting getting more done is that fucking story we tell ourselves and we rationalize it in our own head why it's okay to not do something. Something that we want to do, we know we should do, but like, eh, just we tell ourselves a story that we don't have to do it today. So definitely a cool thing to do um, and I'm definitely going to tick it off this year. I won't be cutting my calories. I'll be keeping my calories up nice and high and then I'll be adjusting them on the fly if I need to. So they'd be my tips there. This is a funny question that one of my mates sent in, Sam, who I used to race with uh, back in the day. He sent in funny question because one of our mates that we used to race with survived on uh, cans of Red Bull and Mars bars at the races. But I thought I would just in, include this question um and it was how far will a can of red bull and a mars bar get me in a three-hour cross-country race the answer to that question is not far but why i'm including this is because when i was racing back in the day um like 20 years ago there was no youtube uh instagram there wasn't any of the like there was no information out there like we were literally just fumbling around. We had no freaking idea what sports nutrition or fueling for endurance, electrolytes, gels, nothing. We didn't know what any of that stuff was. And there was no one telling you like in off-road racing, like especially back then, it was like super casual. There's like no one's really training. Like there was a couple of the pro, pro guys that were starting to sort of put effort in off the bike. So it wasn't like you could just go and ask Daniel Milner at the, like, what do you do with your, with your nutrition? Should I be taking gels? Because like literally I remember the one of the first uh, races that I actually got a podium in in the expert class back then back then the expert class was the pro class they, they didn't have a pro class it was just clubman and expert so as soon as you're an expert you're in with the big boys so it was like frank bonfadini flea fleming evan blackstock danny Tall, all these dudes that were like so like the best of the best at the time frank bonfadini like i remember he'd be on the podium picking up his first place outright trophy with a can of jim beam and a cigarette I kid you not. So you're not going up to Frank Bonfadini asking him like, what do you do for your nutrition on race day, Frank? Like he's like, oh, I just toke on a dart and have a can of Jim Beam. Like that's that's the level that things were like in Australian off-road like 20 years ago. Like it's, you can laugh about it now, but obviously the beauty of where we are in today's day and age is there's like information out there everywhere. But... The big but is I would still see it is the lowest hanging fruit for most people. Most people don't know how to fuel on race day. Um, just even just like forget about what they're eating on the day off the bike. Just even just getting your hydration and your electrolyte intake and your energy intake right for a three-hour race. Most people do not know how much they need to be getting in and they're severely underdoing their intake and they wonder why they bonk in the last hour of the race. They just, again, like that's where I was. Like I used to be able to go hard for the first 90 minutes of the race, 
and then I would just drop anchor and I've, I'd be cooked for three days after it, throbbing headache, felt like I'd been hit by a bus the day after and I just thought I had to ride more. I just thought I wasn't fit enough. I just rode more, rode more, no electrolytes, no gels, no fueling in the race. I was just in a massive calorie deficit, no electrolytes and just cooking myself every race felt like trash for three days after the race and all i knew what to do was just ride more that was how i was going to fix it so if you're like riding and racing consistently and you're still bonking in the last hour of a race i'd seriously be looking at your race nutrition and hydration strategy so another shameless plug i've got a free pdf which is just like a basic guide it's not everyone's at a different place with nutrition it's not a hard hard and fast eat this don't eat that it's just a guide to help you construct your own race day nutrition uh, plan it's got some metrics in there of what you need to be thinking about with your hydration your sodium um, and like your protein, fats, carbs, calories, etc. Just a basic guide. I'll drop the link into the show notes of this episode if you want to download it. There's like 18, 19 pages. There's a ton of value in there that you'll get out of that if you need some help with your nutrition. So there's that. Next question. We got two to go. We're nearly there. How much sodium per day on a non-training day? Great question. Really comes down to, even though it's a non-training day, these are the things that will... Um, I guess you need to be aware of when you're thinking about your sodium intake. One is obviously training load. So if you're doing a lot of training every other day and you're having one day off a week, you're still potentially like losing a lot of electrolytes on those other days of the week when you, if, if you are training, especially if it's in summer, which it is now in Australia. Honestly, it hasn't been that hot in Australia for our summer. Like we've only, I think 35 degrees is the hottest day we've had here. It's normally, normally we get like 43s, 45s, but it's been humid as hell because we've been getting rain and you sweat a ton when it's hum- when the humidity is high. So that's something to think about is your training load and the time of year, if it's hot, if it's humid. The next would be your work environment. Are you sitting in an office with an air conditioner on 21 degrees? probably don't need to worry about electrolytes too much if you're out if you're a tradie if you're on your feet if you're working especially again in summer it's hot it's humid if you're working in that like you're going to need to supplement with extra sodium and electrolytes if you're spending like 8 10 12 hours a day working in hot humid environments another one's your stress levels so what we've just spoken about is, is stress like heat stress from the heat stress from being on your feet all day at work stress from training we're talking about like mental stress here, like that stress that keeps you up at night, that stress that forces you to clench your teeth. Like I'm worried about paying my bills, financial stuff. Like, are we going to get this job done this week? Whatever it is, whatever you got going on, that's bringing that mental stress that increases your um, electrolyte requirements. Big, The two big ones are sodium and magnesium. It will like just, being stressed all the time will deplete you of magnesium and sodium. So that's something to think about. And then the other biggie is nutrition quality. If you're eating a reasonably clean diet from whole foods, you will most likely know that your sodium intake from those foods is probably going to be pretty low. So like I've, I track my food on occasion and I tend to eat mostly whole foods and a lot of the time my sodium intake from those foods will only be a thousand milligrams of sodium or less. So the average, I think the Australian recommendation is two and a half thousand milligrams of sodium a day or 3000. It's somewhere in that window. You got to remember that that's also for the average person. The average person doesn't ride dirt bikes um, in summer, in humid weather fully clothed with an engine that's 150 degrees in between your legs so most people are going to need to be 
probably a little bit higher than that if you're training, if you're riding, if you work outside. So it's a very, very big it depends question. It depends question. I've had some clients that need to include like much higher amounts of sodium and some that don't. So it is a very big it depends question, but your biggest red flags, and this is how you know personally how I adjust it is your biggest red flags is brain fog. If you're getting brain fog or headaches, even if you're hydrating, if you're like drinking heaps of water, you feel like you're hydrated, but you're still getting headaches and you're getting brain fog, try adding more sodium in. Like if you're, if our hydration and sodium intake is, and that sodium balance is on point, we shouldn't be getting headaches. We shouldn't be getting cramps. We shouldn't be getting like that brain foggy sort of cloudy feeling or lack of energy feeling. So if everything's firing the way it should with our hydration and our electrolyte intake, that should feel pretty good. So that's just a red flag. If you feel great, if you feel like you got like really good mental clarity, not getting cramps, not getting headaches, then you're probably fine. Then if you are experiencing any of those things, try adding more sodium in and see how you feel. If you don't notice any difference, then don't keep doing it. But I've personally, anecdotally on myself and like a ton of my clients who have reported some of those headaches, brain fog, those types of things, we just add some more sodium in, some more electrolytes, bang, it's gone instantly. Like the next day I'm talking about. Like it's a very, very quick thing that um, you'll notice a like an instant response to. So that's how I would sort of figure out if you do need more or less. Last one, tips to get my carb intake up without blowing my calories. So I dug a little bit deeper into this question with uh, this particular gentleman. Um, Because if you like, just the way that question's worded, like if you want to get your carb intake up, then you shouldn't really be worried about blowing your calories. It's just balancing your calories. If you're worried about your overall calorie intake, um, your it's just getting your balance of your calories right. So he like this guy, he did mention that he was struggling to hit his carb intake. He felt like he could hit his fats and his proteins, but his carb intake, he was struggling. So like, Quick short answer to this question, my go-to sources of carbs that are easy to, to digest and get more calories in would be white rice, orange juice, honey, maple syrup, etc. Things like that. They're easy, they're good quality, they're easy to get in. Um, like an example, like two pieces of bread is actually, like people like go on, especially low-carb people like go on about how freaking bad bread is but if you actually look at the calories that's in two pieces of bread it's actually pretty low like if you just had a sandwich for lunch there's not that many carbs in there compared to say 200 grams of white rice 200 grams of white rice will fill like a bowl so but it's still like not that many calories it's like 200 grams of white rice might be like i think it's 70 grams of carbs or something which is probably a bit under 300 calories. It's still not that much in calories. Like, So the biggest thing would be getting proteins the most important. So I always shoot for two grams of protein per kilo of body weight. If you're training consistently and you're riding dirt bikes consistently, I like that two gram per kilo of body weight because most people won't hit it. Most people will be a little bit under. So we've got a a touch on the higher side. Um, If you're a little bit under that, then you're still in a good place. If you set your your protein at 1.5 grams, as an example, so for for me, that would be 140. And then I'm like, I'll I'll just, I'll get close enough today and it ends up being 120. Well, then I'm like, I'm down a fair bit. Whereas if I set it for 160, I'm like, I'll get it close enough today that then I end up eating 140. So protein is the most important, two grams per kilo of body weight. Then balancing your carbs and fats, it really just 
comes down to how you feel. Personally, like if you're including more fats and less carbs, you're probably going to feel sluggish. You're probably not going to feel like super energized if you're doing some high intensity workouts like interval training, maybe on your moto, etc. So it really is just about adjusting that. But there again, there's some red flags. If you're feeling fatigued all the time, if you're feeling like you haven't got enough energy in your workouts, then you want to be getting your overall calories up a little bit and probably including some more carbs. Just keeping the fats in check and including some more carbs and you'll most likely feel more energized. But they're, they're my two, the two biggest red flags is if you're feeling like if you feel recovered, you feel like you can go to work, train, wake up the next day and you feel recovered, then your intake is probably pretty good. If you, the biggest red flags are not feeling recovered, so feeling lacking energy, feeling tired, feeling flat after training, and lacking energy in hard workouts. So high, like intervals or hard strength days or going riding on your dirt bike, you're lacking energy. You can't, like, you tank very quickly, don't have any endurance. That would be a big red flag that you need to probably bring your overall calories up a bit and look at getting your carbs up. And then it's just balancing that. Again, it's trial and error. It's like, it's okay, I'm going to eat. I'm going to get my protein super consistent. I'm going to hit that every day. My carbs and fats, I'm going to balance them out to get my overall calories. And there'll be a ratio there that you find is good for you. I eat. 25% of those calories go to fats and the rest goes to carbs or vice versa. Like you, that might fluctuate or change person to person. It's how you feel. When I eat this much fats and this much carbs, how do I feel? Again, it's just adjusting. If you don't feel great, don't feel energized, then maybe we want to change that. Maybe we want to trim the fats back, get the carbs up, try it, do it for a couple of weeks. How do I feel? Do I recover better? Do I have more energy in my workouts? It's a yes or no question. It can only go one of two ways. So if you feel better, thumbs up. Keep doing that. If you don't, then we need to change something else. But yeah, easiest way to get carbs in is my recommendations anyway. White, white rice, orange juice, honey, maple syrup, things like that. Um, any sort of starchy veggies, veggies like fruits potatoes like if you actually do some track some calories like the amount of sweet potato you you would have to eat to get 250 calories um sorry 250 grams of carbs is like you would have to eat a 20 liter bucket of sweet potato like no one is eating that much sweet potato in a day so nothing wrong with sweet potato great option very low in carbs compared to most other to or compared to some other forms of carbohydrate so if you if you're struggling to get carbs in then you want to be choosing items that are a little bit more denser in calories and higher in carbs that are easier to get in because like you can only eat so much food so once you start like you'll understand when you're eating real food, it, it's a ton of food. To eat good quality real food, to hit your calories, like to be up around that 2,800, 3,000 calorie mark, which is where the average guy will be if you've, if you've got a sort of somewhat active job and you're training consistently and riding motos each week. Like that's where you need to be. So it's a lot of food in like in actual real food. If you're eating Maccas and things like that, then yeah, you're going to blow those calories out pretty quick. But if you're making your meals from scratch and they're from whole foods, then it is a lot of food. So like I say, it's going to be very hard to get your carbs from sweet potato if if you're just eating sweet potato. Not to say that you are, but that's just an example, I mean. So it's just sort of, I guess, trial and error and finding some of those options that are a little bit higher in carbs and just increasing those portions on those. Um, and yeah, adjust, assess, and you'll make progress. That is it. 
I'll put the link in the show notes to that nutrition PDF. Um, a link to my website for the Race Ready Live program. We do have... What, have, what is the date today? It's Australia Day. I should know that. It's 26th of January. So we've got five more days left for a discount code, which is I'm ready 24, which is 24% discount on the first month of the Race Ready Live program. So I'll put that in the show notes as well. Um, that will be finishing. I only do, that's the only time of year that I do a discount code is, is January. Um, just to help out those people that do want to make a positive change in their year and kick, kick off the year, um, with their new year's resolutions in mind. So I'll drop that in the show notes. Otherwise, thank you all for listening. Thank you to everyone who sent in the questions and we will get another one of these banged out in February and answer some more questions for you all. Hope you're getting to ride some moto this weekend. If so, enjoy it. Give it 100%. We'll see you on the next episode.